good to us. What a God we serve. We've been looking at the Godhead now for several months, and we're going to continue doing that. And tonight, we're going to look at the gifts of God, the gifts that God gives to us. Our, our sort of our foundational version is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 17. Anybody want to read that, please? Thank you, Brother Dan. Uh, several weeks ago, we were in uh, Sunday school in the uh, epistle of Timothy, and we covered this context of this verse, and Paul was talking about contentment with God is his great gain. But it's interesting, in the verse that Dan just read, uh, Paul says to this young preacher, you know, tell those that are rich in this world not to become haughty. Is that easy for us to do? Sure. Now, keep in mind... Uh, we got to watch out for that because, and by the way, it's not just those who are rich, it's those who want to be rich. But in this verse, he addresses those who are rich in this world. So he says, the bottom line is, we shouldn't put our trust in our riches. Our trust should be in who? Say it again. In God. Notice this, because God gives us richly all things to enjoy. Now, we talked a lot about God in this series, but don't forget God is the best giver we've ever had. And He gives things into our life. And what a wonderful thought as we consider that our God is a giving God. Now, I think the problem I have in my life, and maybe you as well, I think sometimes God's been so good to us we take it for granted. Isn't that true? I love that old hymn we sing once in a while. Count your many blessings. Do what? Name them one by one. And you know, count your many blessings. See what God hath done in our life. And so we've become so familiar with that. Sometimes we lose uh, that sense of wonderment at the good gifts of God. Now, by the way, our God is a giving God. And every gift we get from God is what? Is it good or bad? It's good. It's perfect. It comes down from the Father of life, in whom there is no turning. Amen. Without a doubt. Now, do you understand that concept of a God being good, a giving God, is not found in any other religion of the world? None. And especially among pagan religions. Because they're always out trying to uh, please those monsters so they won't have bad things happen to them. And so we don't find that concept in any other religion except for Christianity. So as we look at scriptures tonight, we find out that the God of scriptures is pictured as a father of mercy who gives us richly all things to enjoy. How many know tonight God is on your side? Amen. He's on our side. Now, we must also balance that as well. Because wouldn't you agree that God has his own rights as well? He has a right to his holiness. Uh, who, who owns everything? He does. So he has a right to proprietorship. And what's interesting even though God is a, is a good God and a, a giving God, 
He doesn't rescind those things to give them up. He doesn't do that. He remains forever the same. And what's interesting is this. As we consider this thought tonight, I think it's something that goes beyond our thought life, if you will. Something that may have not entered our minds to conceive that the divine claimer, and what can God claim? Everything. He's also the divine provider, according to his riches and glory. Now, we have to also understand. The Bible says the wages of sin is what? Death. What's that mean? Say it again. You earn death. We'll, we'll talk more about that in a minute, but you're right. You earn death. And so, let me ask a question. Who has broken God's law? But I'm a Christian. Everybody. We have broken the law of God. Now remember, God is a giver, but He never draws back His requirements. He never sends them. He requires that His broken law be satisfied. That's the claim of Scriptures. Sin has to be paid for. But what's interesting is this. The same God who requires the payment, guess what he did? He provided. (laughs) Isn't that great? He provided that payment. Amen. Yeah, he knew we couldn't. He demands it, and yet he provides it. So the divine claimer, without a doubt, is the divine provider. So he supplied himself. And by the way, every claim that God makes is a just, righteous claim. We can't miss that. He's not unfair. But all of these claims that God makes, they're all met by grace. Isn't that good? Every one of them is met by grace. And the one who, especially in the Old Testament times, asked for sacrifices from us, provided a sacrifice. He provided a lamb without spot, without blemish, once and for all. So what do we have here? We have a God who's a demander, but he's also the donor. Isn't that good? He's also the donor. We have a God who requires, the requirer, if you will. He's also the provider. My friend, that is a God of grace. So tonight I want to spend our time together looking at some of the gifts that God has given us. And I think the greatest of these is the gift of his son. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. You've probably heard this verse before. 
Thank you. I uh, underlined in my notes on that verse. Notice twice in verse 6 of Isaiah 9. First, unto us. Isn't that good? A child is born. Second of all, unto us. A son is given. Now, by the way, who was writing? I know God sang it, but who wrote this? Isaiah did. About 700 years before Christ. You understand, God had a plan from the foundation of the world. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. God's gift to us. And I want to suggest to you tonight the greatest gift was his son. Go to Luke chapter 2 verse 11. Seven hundred years after Isaiah prophesied, give or take a few years. <laughs> the angels come, they announce, unto you is born. And without a doubt, that gift, the gift of God's Son, is the supreme exemplification of divine benevolence. God could give no greater gift, so he gave himself. Now, how could I say God gave himself? How could I say that? Thank you. Say it again, Wayne. Jesus is God. Now, don't ask me to explain that. There is a triune. I understand God the Father, God the Son. But God gave himself. Go to 1 John chapter 4, verses 9 and 10. Anybody, if you have that already, go ahead and read that. <clears throat> Verse 10 too. Amen. Thank you, Phyllis. Now, I'm going to point a couple of things out. First of all, we know that God said He loves the world. But wouldn't you agree that God demonstrated His love by a very clear and definite action? Isn't that true? And, and that's what John is writing about here. John says, here's how we see the love of God in action. Because God sent His only begotten Son into this world. Now, don't miss that. And because God so dearly, excuse me, loved all the people in the world, He was willing to give His one and only Son, His only begotten Son, and that Son gave His life so that no one, that no one would have to perish, but could have eternal life. And it's interesting, the only, if there is a requirement, I guess there is, for that is believing in Him. Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, hear me well. How many sons does God have? One. One. 
And God gave that son for us. Unto you a child is born. Unto you a son is given. Unto you a child is born this day in the city of David. Jesus Christ, our Lord. Okay, so God gave us his son. Uh, we're going to be going to Romans chapter 8, verse 32 in a moment. And I don't remember the first time I read this verse where it caught my attention. But I've always called it the Hallmark gift card verse. You remember the slogan some years ago? When you care enough to send the very best. Guess who cared enough? God did. Now, interesting here, because God sent his son, That is a guarantee of every other blessing God's going to give us. Now think about that. Now, we're going to read verse 32 in a moment, but I want you to notice something here. And again, I realize Paul is writing, but under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And Paul is going to make his statement or his case. He's going to argue from the greater to the less. Okay? And what that does, that assures us that Christ is at once the very pledge and the channel of every other blessing and mercy we have from God. He's going to argue from the greater to the less. Go to verse 32, Romans 8. Uh, thank you, Wayne. Now, notice the greater. He didn't spare his own son. Is that true? Yeah, he gave his son. He cared enough to send what? The best. So that's the greater. And so Paul begins with a greater to make his claim here. And he moves on and he says, the question is rhetorical. How shall he not, with him, with Christ, also give us I'll freely give us all things. You see the argument here? Now, here's the, here's, the, here's the situation. Through Christ, God has already given us the best. Would you agree with that? So no matter what else he gives to us, or how much he gives to us, will it ever be greater than his son? No. Paul moves from the greater to the lesser. Now, I find that kind of interesting, and, and we're all guilty. We pull verses out here and there. And uh, <laughs> Paul made a statement in the previous verses. He said, if God be for us, who can be against us? Now, in the context that we just read in verse 32. And so verse 32 shows us exactly how much God is for us. So much that He sent His only begotten Son to die for us. And it's kind of interesting, and I've, I've told you before, I don't know any, I don't know Greek, but I do some word study once in a while with my Greek concordance. And that little three-letter word, F-O-R in the English, uh, it is a, a, a word, a pronoun, it's a benefactive pronoun in the Greek. 
Jesus didn't die for himself. He died on our behalf. He died because I needed a Savior, because you needed a Savior, because the world needed a Savior. (laughs) And it's interesting, it's only through Jesus Christ that man could ever be acceptable to God. Think about that. Only through Jesus Christ. Now, we also have to understand, Paul said, the one who didn't spare his only son. In fact, it's the same word. Of course, it's a Greek word, similar to the Hebrew word in Genesis 12, 12, when God said Abraham to him, you have not withheld your only son. And so God says, I'm not going to withhold my only son. So my question is, if God refused to withhold his son, but he gave him anyway, what good things in our life will God withhold? Nothing. According to his will. And there probably be times in our lives, and have been, where somehow we have been thinking, well, God is withholding something from me. How many of us are lie to the devil? Because the fact of the matter is, and I know we don't want to live this way, but we need to, if God never gave us anything else, he's already given the greatest gift. He's given us his son. And so when we realize, and we don't lose sight of that fact that God did not withhold his only begotten son, It'll help us to see that God is working for our good even though we may not see it at this very moment. God is good all the time. So whenever you come to a place in your life, when Satan throws that fiery fiery dart, whatever it is, and we are tempted to doubt God's love for us, Simply express your love for him, trusting his heart. And by the way, when Romans 8, verse 28 says, For all things do what? Work together for the good. Amen. Though those who are called according to his purpose. So we have to remember. Now, by the way, if Romans chapter 8, verse 32 is not true, if Romans 8, 28 is not true, you throw it away, right? The whole book. But it's the Word of God. It is a promise of God. So the God who sacrificed His Son to save us, will He try to invalidate that sacrifice? By refusing to help us? No. By refusing to guide us? No. He gives to us richly. Thank God for that. Now remember, God doesn't promise to make us Wealthy and worldly things. Doesn't mean he won't. 
There's no sin in being wealthy. Now, if you're convicted by it, give me a call. I'll help you out with that, okay? I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm not selfish. <laughs> but there's no sin in that. But there's no guarantee that God is going to make us wealthy. But what we have to understand is what God does promise us is that all things are going to bring us to God's ultimate goal in our lives. That our sanctification and our glorification. And please never forget this. The greatest goal of our lives. Brother Paul, I, I loved your prayer Sunday. I do listen when you pray, brother. I already have you pray. Is when I hear the Lord say, well done. Good and faithful servant. And all these things that Paul mentions. Things that are going to bring me to that ultimate goal of my life, my complete sanctification and my glorification. So all of those things that Paul talked about, where they are in verse 28, they are the experiences that God is going to give us as he works, not for the good we've got planned, right? For his good, for the good he has planned for our Lies. <clears throat> Matthew 6, verse 33. What, Philip? Did you read that right? Yeah. So my question, do I really believe that verse? Because if I want these things, I need to do what? Seek Him first. Put Him first in my life. All right, we know the Bible promises that God will answer our prayers. Yes. Does that mean he will answer the way we want him to? No. Say it again, Wayne. Not always. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Amen. Also, there's some things in my life I've prayed for that I'm glad God didn't give me. Isn't that true? But also understand along with this, yes, God does promise to answer our prayer. But it does not oblige God to give us anything we ask of Him. But here's what we cannot forget. When we pray, Thank God we're not praying to some statue who can't hear us. We're not praying to some dead saint who can't help us. We are praying to a living God, to the only one who is infinitely free and powerful to act on our behalf. And don't ever forget... The fact of, of that is God's grace motivates his giving. Because who deserves it? I don't. No one does. So it motivates his giving. And we have the assurance that what God gives us is always the best 
for us. Now remember, God did not hold back his choicest treasure. One writer said he didn't hold the darling of his bosom. God freely gave him up. And the love that would not spare Christ will not hold back anything that is good for his people. From the greater, the son, to the lesser. So we have, number one, the gift of God's son. I'm very glad for that. Amen. A second gift is the gift of God's spirit. Now, again, we, we've talked about the Trinity before a lot of times. And if I said tonight I understand everything there is to know about the Trinity, I just lied to you, okay? But I believe that God exists, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. But also understand this. The Son of God is God's all-inclusive gift. Paul said, in him dwells the fullness of the body of the Godhead bodily. So the good news is, he didn't come to us empty-handed. Think about that. And we cannot separate his person from his benefits. He came to purchase a multitude of blessings for us. Now, let me kind of give you a scenario or an example that just came to my mind. And we see it especially in the Old Testament. And we can choose any number of battles. But normally, whenever the, whichever people was victorious in that battle, what did they come home with? Say it again. What they earned winning that victory. And in almost every case, they would take those spoils and do what with them? Give them out. Uh, there was a time, I don't remember David or not, but one of them went to battle, you know, and, and the King James said, some of them say, by the baggage. <laughs> and, uh, you know, turned disregard into stuff, if you will. And when the army got back, said, we're not going to give you any. You didn't go, but God said, what? You're going to give it to them. You share their spoils of victory. Do you realize that when Jesus Christ raised from the dead, he had victory over sin and over death? And with that, he has the ability to give gifts. So Jesus did not come to us empty-handed. Now, again, the greatest of the gifts that Jesus has is the Holy Spirit. Think about that. The Holy Spirit. Now remember, the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, communicates what the Lord Jesus has obtained for us. We know that in the Old Testament, God pardoned and He justified the saints at that time based on the future atonement of Jesus Christ. Remember, the cross is the center point of history. Saints, before that, look forward to the cross. We look back to the cross. Jesus Christ made 
the difference. And so the Old Testament saints were justified based on the atonement Christ would make at the appointed time. Go to the book of Numbers, chapter 9, look at verse 23. All right, now thank you, Dan. You may wonder why in the world are we reading uh, verses uh, like this. Uh, we tend to always look for God in the miraculous. But how many know that God's in the everyday life? And sometimes God speaks in a still, small voice. Is that true? Sure, ask Elijah. And Dan, I want to thank you for reading that. We, uh, we just kind of pulled it there if you were kind of maybe out of context. But the, con- the, the, the context of it, they were traveling, of course, to the promised land. So when it got time to move, God would send a, a violent storm or an earthquake. Is that how he did? How did he do it? The cloud just moved. In fact, at his commandment. And when God said go, what did they do? They went. God said stop. Yeah. And again, he did it with the cloud and the fire by night. If it moved, they moved. And uh, how long was that cloud with them? About 40 years. That fire. It, was, it, was, it became a natural. Isn't it true? Yeah. Everyday thing. Now go to Nehemiah chapter 9. Now also understand, uh, Nehemiah is looking back to the days of the wilderness journey. Chapter 9, verse 20. Okay, again, Nehemiah says, but God also gave him his spirit to instruct them. He didn't keep this manner from his mouth, and he gave them water for their thirst. Now, how did this manna, how did they get that? He sent it, okay. He what? Okay. Now, if it had been today, he'd have been on stage. That it had smoke coming up around him. Right? Uh, flashes of light because he's the man. Is that how God did that? No, every morning the dew came. When the dew left, it was what? That was manna. Do you see how God works? See how He works? And understand something, folks. It's on that basis that God communicated to them the Spirit. Because unless God gives us the Spirit, unless the Spirit changes our lives, we cannot be regenerated. Neither us, are them. And because God gave them His Spirit, they were now, for lack of a better word, fitted for communion with God. And God allowed them, because of that, to bring forth spiritual fruit. Now, were they always obedient? No, they weren't. But they had that opportunity. God provided what they needed in the wilderness. But also, again, don't forget, He... he, and again, we know that it was supernatural. It was from God, no doubt about that. But also understand, it was almost like secretly. 
Ain't it true? I mean, get up in the morning, the dew be gone, here come the manna. I mean, no, no big spectacular thing. Wasn't really a demonstration of power. Uh, again, like it came as a dew. Uh, but also understand, and I, I'm really kind of assuming this, uh, who did God do that for? Everybody? For the nation of Israel. For the nation of Israel. Go to Acts chapter 2, verse 33. All right. I don't want to lose our our train of thought here. Now remember, we are told in the Scripture that in in the wilderness, God gave them His Spirit. And there's no way anyone at any time could ever be regenerated without the Spirit of God. can't happen. But again, they look forward to the time when Christ will be crucified. Now, would you agree that in Acts chapter 2, some strange things happened? Huh? So strange it caught the attention of the crowd. And they accused the apostles of what? Being drunk. I mean, come on. All these different languages you've never learned. And so Peter says, fellas, that's not the problem here. That's not what is going on. The same God who sent the Holy Spirit to the Jews only in the Old Testament is now sending the Spirit of God to the world. Jew and Gentile alike. Go to John 16, verse 7. Thank you, Phyllis. Now, Jesus says it's expedient that he goes away. And he explains why. And again, don't ask me to explain all this. I don't understand it. But he said, if I don't go away, the comforter will not come. But if I do go away, notice what it says, I will send him unto you. Now, remember what I said a few minutes ago. Christ didn't come into a world empty-handed. And the Spirit of God, in His fullness, in a way that had never happened before, was God's ascension gift to Christ, and it was Christ's coronation gift to His church. Amen. How many know, without the Holy Spirit, the church would have never survived? Ever. And so Christ, that was his coronation gift to the church. Galatians chapter 3, verses 13 and 14. Yeah. Thank you, Jason. Don't miss what 
Paul was writing about here. Jesus became a curse for who? For us. And the reason is, God had blessed Abraham. And Paul says he became a curse so that the blessing that God at one time had given to Abraham can now be ours. Somebody needs to say amen on that. Amen. Through the Lord Jesus Christ. And notice the last part of that verse. That we, that you and I, might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. So the gift of the Spirit was purchased for His people by the Lord Jesus Christ. And every blessing we have, every blessing we receive, is only through the merit and the mediation of the Lord Jesus Christ. So we got the gift of His Son, the best. The gift of the Holy Spirit, running a second close, all right? You know, they're, all, they're, they're good gifts, all right? The third thing we have is the gift of life. Now, we alluded to this verse earlier, but let's read it, Romans six twenty three. All right, thank you, Wayne. Now, do you see any opposites here? Okay, life and death. How about gift and a wage? So this is what theologians would call a double antithesis. Now, first of all, is God a righteous God? Yes. Is he a God of justice? Yes. So don't forget, the God of justice must give the wicked what they earn. Isn't that true? The wages of sin is death. And what's a wage? Something you earn. So the righteous God must, if you're going to keep his righteousness and be just, he has to give that wage. So we see a wage and we see his death. But then in the second half of the verse, we see a gift of what? Life, eternal life. Now, what's the difference between a gift and a wage? Say it again. Okay, now, Wayne, you're right. So let me ask a question here. We get a wage because we earn it? Do we get a gift because we earn it? No. How many know? In His great mercy, God gives to His people what we do not deserve. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for dying for our sins. Now, also understand, we talk about this wage of death, wage of sin being death. Um. How long does that death last? Forever. And so this eternal death 
it really follows as a natural and inevitable consequence from what is in and done by its objects. You earn what you get. But that's not true for eternal life. That gift is given without any consideration of something in or something from its subjects. It is given only by and sustained by grace. Because my question would be, who deserves eternal life? No one does. Go to Romans chapter 3, verse 11. What does that verse say to us? No, we're not worthy. We can't figure it out. We don't understand it. We can't earn it. It's a free gift. Now, also understand, I think too often we look at eternal life as then. Eternal life begins now. Amen. It's a spiritual life now. It's a life of glory hereafter. And that eternal life is sovereignly and freely given to us by God. And it's also a blessing given to us by God only because Jesus Christ paid the price of redemption. He bought me back. And I didn't deserve that. John chapter 10, verse 28. Okay, I want to notice especially in that whole verse is important. But Jesus, I give unto them eternal life. Who has the power to give eternal life? Only God, Jesus Christ. Remember what I told you. He didn't come empty-handed, Okay. John 17, verse 3. Now, here's what's interesting. (laughs) Eternal life is to know the only true God and to know the Christ that God sent. And please understand, eternal life is dispensed by the Lord Jesus Christ. God gave us eternal life through Him. The gift of His Son, the gift of the Holy Spirit, the gift of life. But the fourth thing I want to try to talk about tonight, we've got a few minutes, and that's the gift of spiritual understanding. 1 John 5.20 Thank you, Phyllis. Now, I want to understand something here. John, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Christ has come, nobody says, he's given us an understanding. 
that we may know him that is true. What God gives to us, to those who are born again, is an absolutely spiritual understanding. Now that word know there doesn't mean to know the facts. The idea is to know him intimately. And don't misunderstand. Certainly we must begin with the facts. But only the Spirit of God can make them real to our lives. Only the Spirit of God can make them exactly fit for taking in the Scripture the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we challenge each one every year to read the Bible through. And that's important. But folks, that will never matter unless the Bible is through you. And only the Holy Spirit can do that. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. Are you in 2 Corinthians 4, verse 6? Amen. Don't miss this, folks. God has commanded the light to shine out of darkness that it might shine in our hearts. That's the only way we will intimately come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And folks, this is nothing less than internal illumination. God illuminates our light. A divine light that shines in our hearts. Now, by the way, today we live and we see Christ by faith. But how many know one day we'll see him face to face? And so even though we're not now in the physical side of Christ, he makes it a living reality to those who have been brought into a newness of life. The Spirit of God shines in our heart. And folks, we have to understand that. And, and I want God to remind me of that, especially every time I try to witness to my dad. The main problem is he hasn't let God's light shine in his heart. Until that happens, he's not going to understand what God has done for him. And we don't understand it until we allow that to illuminate our life. And whenever we allow that to happen, when this divine renewing of our understanding, we begin to uh, at least perceive the excellency and the suitability of Christ, and, and, be, and that stirs our affections, it'll sanctify our wills, and it will raise our mind to being fixed on Him. It's in, internal illumination, the gift of spiritual understanding. Well, we're just about out of time for tonight. We're just going to highlight uh, two more real quick. The gift of faith. By the way, we're saved by what? By faith. Even that's a gift from God, all right? Uh, we're not going into more detail about that tonight because we're about out of time but also the gift 
of repentance. Go to Acts 17, 30. Let's read that verse. Acts 17, verse 30. Paul says this, and I know Luke is writing, but Paul's speaking. And the times of this ignorance God winked at, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Isn't that great? Now, by the way, will everyone repent? No. Only those who allow the Spirit of God to take a picture of their lives. So even repentance is a gift from God. The ability to make things right with God. Is God good? Yes, indeed. Let's stop there uh, for tonight.